Good morning. Great to see you all this morning on this holiday weekend. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, thank you so much for uh, a chance to have an extra day off for many people to relax, to uh, just spend more time with our families and our friends and with you. And Lord, we thank you for this morning that we can uh, get into your word. Lord, uh, just uh, speak to us however you want to. Just influence us, move us, challenge us, help us to grow, help us to shine brighter for Jesus as a result of your word. And uh, Lord, just bless our time as we take uh, your supper, Jesus, to remember your body and the blood that was shed for us and hold it in high esteem and be prepared for it and to do it with glad hearts. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for uh, this Lord's day and again, bless the rest of it for your glory and our blessing in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you don't have to be a, a sports fan or a baseball fan to, uh, to be aware of a fact, the fact that a former Mariner, Ken Griffey Jr., was recently inducted into the Seattle Mariner Baseball Hall of Fame. It was all over the news, wasn't it? It's in the papers, on TV, radio, and, uh, and it was a really a neat occasion for the Seattle area. Uh, just prior to that, he was inducted into the... Um, Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York, which is the highest honor that a baseball player can experience. When you think about Griffey's uh, statistics, they're pretty impressive. Uh, maybe you didn't know some of these, but without ever taking any kind of performance-enhancing drugs, uh, over a 22-year period, Griffey hit 630 home runs. That's eighth on the all-time list of, any, of all baseball players. Um, he won 10 Golden Glove Awards for his defense. He's tied for the most consecutive games with a home run, eight, and is one of only 29 players in the history of baseball to appear in major league games in four different calendar decades. That's only a few of the things that he did, a few of his accomplishments. To top it all off, he received the highest percentage of votes in the history of Hall of Fame voting by those qualified to vote from the Baseball Writers Association of America. Maybe you didn't know something. Did you know that three voters actually shunned him? They didn't vote for him? They were negative. They didn't want Griffey in the Hall of Fame. He received, of the 440 votes cast, 437 were for, three were against. 99.3% of the vote uh, was for him, but there's those three that voted against him. I read about that recently, and it illustrated the truth for me. Now, I've experienced it. We've all experienced it, and, that's, and this, it's just this truth. No matter how hard you try, no matter how good you are, no matter how much you accomplish, no matter how sincere your intentions are, no matter how serious you are about being a good person or living the Christian life or serving God or serving other people, you're going to be criticized. Somebody with a negative spirit is going to come into your life and pick out the one or two things out of everything else that's negative, and they're going to accentuate that. It's just a fact of life. Now, it could come from somebody very close to you, your spouse, maybe your kids, maybe your parents. It could come from a friend. It could come from someone at school or at work. Maybe even people at church, tragically so. Um, 
maybe even total strangers. I think they call them trolls on the internet now, right? That's all new to me. I don't, I didn't know that stuff, but, but someone's going to go after you with a critical spirit. Um, and it hurts. It does. Do you, have a critical, do you ever have a critical person in your life? Don't elbow anybody right now. I'm just asking you a question. <laughs> Elbows are flying right now. Have you ever had a critical person in your life? Have you? Do you have one right now? I mean, it's, it's not unusual. We all have it. We have that person who has the gift of informing us what's wrong with us, okay? How we do things. Sometimes they do it to our face, sometimes totally behind our back, okay? And here's the thing. How we respond to the people that are critical of us, whether we're close to them or we don't even know them, how we respond to a critical spirit can have a profound impact on our relationship with God and on our walk with Jesus. It can affect us for the rest of our lives if we don't respond properly. And I'm talking about just criticism or unjust criticism. Because every time we're criticized, justly or unjustly, we are taken to a crucial emotional, mental, and spiritual crossroads roads where we can either get bitter about it or we can get better about it. Every single time. It, has a, it can have an effect on our entire lives. Well, the title, title of the message today is When Critic, Criticism Comes Your Way. When Criticism Comes Your Way. And we're going to take a look at one of the most loved stories in all the Bible. And that is the story of Gideon and the Midianites. You remember that story, any of you? Some of you learned it in vacation Bible school. Some of you learned it in Sunday school. You've heard it preached maybe, or someone has taught you that. It's really one of the neatest stories in all the Bible. It's found in the uh, 6th and 7th chapter of Judges. Now, we're not going to read those chapters, but I want to read to you a summary of that event, okay, and see if it recalls uh, this to you. Now, as you remember, Gideon was a, a very fearful, timid young man, and the Lord appeared to him and, and said, and selected him to lead the nation into battle against their enemies, the Midianites. Very cruel, very vicious, oppressive people, the Midianites. But Gideon was reluctant to, to do this. He was scared. He didn't, he didn't feel up to the, the challenge. But he did what the Lord commanded him to do, and he led a tiny force of just 300 men against 135,000 uh, Midianite soldiers. And if you know the story, God intervened and gave Gideon and his men just an amazing victory. Uh, out of the 135,000 soldiers that, um, that Gideon took these 300 soldiers against, only 15,000 survived. Now, you may know the details of the story. I can't go into them because of time. But it's really an exciting story. And there are a lot of wonderful lessons we can pull out of Judges chapter 6 and 7. How God comes through for us and how we face difficult odds and his faithfulness and all that. But what happens after the battle is what I want to talk about today in chapter 8 and the first four verses. Because to me, what happens after this amazing battle is almost as profound is what happens in the battle uh, uh, itself. So could you go, if you have a Bible within, you want to go to Judges chapter 8. We're going to look at the first four verses this morning. Or I'm, if it's above, behind me on the screen, go ahead and look at that. But I want to read these, and then we'll get into it. 
chapter, Judges chapter 8, 1 through 4. Now the Ephraimites asked Gideon, why have you treated us like this? Why didn't you call us when you were, went to fight the Midianites? And they criticized him sharply. But he answered them, you lower than a snake's belly in a well. Oh, no, I didn't say that. Um, he answered them, what have I accomplished compared to you? Aren't the gleanings of Ephraim's grapes better than the full grape harvest of Abiezer? God gave Oreb and Zeb, the Midianite leaders, into your hands. What was I able to do compared to you? And at this, their resentment against him subsided. You know, in spite of this awesome victory against these cruel, mean, oppressive people, instead of any compliments, no attaboys, no way to go, Gideon, no thank you for saving our nation and freeing us from oppression and persecution, instead, the Midianites blast Gideon with this unfair criticism. Nothing positive, everything negative. But here's the neatest thing, and I don't know if you noticed it, but did you see how Gideon responded to that? I mean, he, you know, if it would have been me, I would have said, you know, I do, and I do, and I do for you guys. This is the thanks I get. Not Gideon. He has an amazing response to their unjust, ill-timed, selfish criticism. And we're going to look at that because it's amazing. And it will teach us how to deal with difficult people in our lives. And if we have a critical spirit, it will teach us how to deal with, with that too. So we're going to answer four important questions, I think, this morning. And that is uh, under this title, When Criticism Comes Your Way. Number one, what's the characteristic of a critical spirit? How do you know someone has one? Dale Robbins uh, puts it this way. A critical spirit is an obsessive attitude of criticism and fault-finding, which seeks to tear others down. It's not the same as constructive criticism. Constructive criticism is criticism that is truth expressed in love to build people up, not to tear them down. And it's always expressed face-to-face, -face, never behind the back, their back. But the person with a critical spirit dwells on the negative and it looks for flaws rather for the good in people. According to the Bible, a critical spirit is a sickness. It's an uh, uh, illness. It's a sin. Okay, because it dwells on the negative, looking for flaws rather than building people up. The people of Ephraim were a classic example of someone with a critical spirit. Again, no, nothing positive. I mean, this is an amazing victory. There's so much to be ha thankful for. Not one positive word. No, again, no attaboys, no I appreciate it, no thank yous. No, we, you know, nothing positive but just negative. Okay, they, whatever they could find, they accentuated the negative. Look, if you look at verse one, it says that they criticized Gideon. What's that next word, everybody? Sharply. They criticized him sharply. Now that word or phrase has the idea of a bitter, strong, cutting, attacking words. You know, the reason that they were so critical is Gideon had not called them to be part of the initial battle against the Midianites, okay? And so they tore into him for it. Truth is, they really didn't want to be part of that battle anyway, as we'll find out later, but they tore into it. Now, I've got to be honest. I think all of us have a little Ephraim in us, don't we? On a scale of 1 to 10, you might be 
your critical level is low, you might be a 10. You are a critical person. We all have a little bit of that in us. So I, I don't want us to act totally self-righteous about this. But they were on a scale of 10 out of 10, no doubt about it. And those are the characteristics of a critical spirit. Now, it just doesn't happen out of thin air. There are causes for why people are critical of us, unjustly so. There are causes for a critical spirit. What causes a person to have a critical spirit? The tribe of Ephraim really teaches us what those are. It's, it's, it, a lot of it's here. The first cause of a critical spirit in someone is their pride, their pride. See, the Ephraimites were full of themselves. They had an inflated sense of self-righteousness and self-importance and an inflated sense of superiority that caused them to be critical of other people. And I'll tell you why. They were the biggest tribe numerically, so they were proud of that. The tabernacle of the Lord was located in Shiloh, which was in Ephraim. They were proud of that. The Ephraimites descended from Joseph and his wife. They were proud of that. They were proud of their heritage, proud of their pedigree, proud of their influence, proud of their power. They wanted respect from people. And when they didn't get it the way they wanted it, they lashed out with a critical spirit. Pride causes a critical spirit. Another cause of a critical spirit here was that they were forgetful. Forgetfulness can cause a critical spirit. Who chose the 12 tribes of Israel? So this is not a trick question. But you think it is because hardly anybody answered. It's God, right? The 12 tribes didn't choose God. God chose them. They forgot that. Somehow they got it into their minds that they were responsible for being chosen by God. Okay? But God had graciously, mercifully chosen them to be one of the 12 tribes of Israel, one of the chosen people of God. You know, Christians can do that too. Over time, after we're saved, we can all too easily forget that we were chosen by the absolute grace of God. Nothing good in us ever caused God to choose us, but he did out of his grace. And we can forget that. And we can forget that all the blessings we have every day come from God. And we can forget that we're going to heaven because of God's grace in sending his son for us and giving us new life in him. And when we become forgetful of God's grace, we start to be critical of other people. Another cause of a critical spirit was jealousy. Jealousy causes a critical spirit. Over at the end of chapter 7, and I'm not even going to take the time to read it, but Gideon asks the tribe of Ephraim to do the cleanup work after the main battle against the Midianites was over with. And that ticked them off. They didn't like that. It's kind of like garbage minutes in the NBA, you know. Your team's ahead by 50. You've been riding the pine the whole game. You hardly ever play, but the coach has a little sympathy for you, so he throws you in. And they were not happy about that. They were jealous of the tribes that were on the front lines, even though I don't think they really wanted to be on the front lines, but they were jealous anyway, okay? And they missed out on all the plunder that these, uh, the front lines took. And they missed out on the glory and on all the, all the praise when the parade, victory parade, parade came into town. And in their jealousy and in their anger, they turned on Gideon. Jealousy can cause a critical spirit. 
Another cause of a critical spirit is hurt. Being hurt. They were hurt and in pain. Why? Because they were left out. They were not asked to be a part of the main battle uh, on the front lines and the main army. And they got hurt. Now, they had a reputation for not doing well in battle, and I didn't put it up on the screen, but Psalm 78 verse 9 says that the children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They were cowards. And so some of this hurt was deserved. But deserved or undeserved, they were hurting. And they probably felt rejected and left out and ignored and inferior. And instead of examining themselves as to why they felt that way, they reacted by being more critical than they should have been. And you know, it, it brings up the old adage, and you've all heard it, hurt people what? Hurt people hurt people. It's so true. You can bet your bottom dollar that if someone's lashing out at you and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense and the, and the, the reaction way outweighs the offense, they're probably hurting. And they're superimposing their past hurt on you and you're kind of the, the recipient of something you're not even responsible for. Okay? Hurting people hurt people. That's why resolution is so important to get that hurt taken care of because what Satan does, he gets a hold of unresolved hurts, doesn't he? As well as unresolved sins, but he gets a hold of unresolved hurts and he tortures us with them and influences us to be more critical than we ought. And then fifth, a fifth cause of a critical spirit is just being critical by nature. Just if we had the time to go to chapter 12, we would find out that they did this again to a whole other group of people. It was part of their personality to be critical. And I hope this makes sense to you, but, you know, sometimes a critical spirit can come from the dark side of a good gift. You know, I mean, if you have the gift of discernment, that's a cool gift. But if in the flesh, the gift of discernment can turn into a critical spirit. You see what I'm saying here? It's like that with any spiritual gift. The gift of preaching or teaching, you know, instead of just feeding the sheep, a preacher or teacher can beat the sheep. Thankfully, Pastor Dan doesn't do that to us. He gives us awesome messages to build us up, to challenge us. But preachers can, some beat the sheep. It's a good thing gone bad. How about the gift of helps? If you have the gift of helps, that can turn into being an enabler. I mean, all the gifts have their dark side if they get, the flesh gets a hold of them. And I think with the Ephraimites, uh, the Midianites, no, the Ephraimites, they, they were critical by nature and it took them over. And then finally, a critical spirit comes from hanging out with critical people. Doesn't it? Have you ever noticed when you're around people that are critical or gossipy or sniping or chirping? Do you ever find yourself falling into that trap when you're with them? It's easy to do. I'm not going to say you do, but it's easy to do. Look at verse 1 of chapter 8. Now the Ephraimites, plural, asking, why have you treated us, plural, like this? Why didn't you call us, when you went, plural, when you went to fight the Midianites, and they plural, criticized him sharply. That was a group effort. Just it wasn't a few. 
the, the, the spirit of criticism had spread through the whole tribe because that, when we hang out with critical people, we can become critical. So we see the characteristics of a critical person and the causes. Now, there is a cost. Let it never be forgotten that if we're under the influence of a critical person or we ourselves become critical, there is a cost. There will be a cost. Consequences, if you want to put it that way. And most of the time, we don't see them. We just think all this criticism that somebody levels at us or that we level at somebody just goes into thin air, and it doesn't. There's a cost to being critical, a very serious cost. Let's look at some of these costs here in this passage and in surrounding verses. The first cost of a critical spirit is a lack of spiritual growth. Isn't it interesting that four chapters later, the... uh, the Ephraimites are the, in the exact same spot they were back in chapter 8. There was no growth. They were still at the same level. They were stuck. And why were they stuck? Because they hadn't repented of their critical spirit. Okay? A critical spirit not only damages others, but it damages the person that's the critic. They can't grow in the Lord. They're stuck. It keeps people in bondage. I was reading about a study that a psychiatrist, psychiatrist who worked for the VA did. Um, and in his article about his study, he did research into the cause of mental and emotional disturbances with 10,000 case studies. And he discovered that there was a common trait with all his patients who suffered from uh, mental and emotional disturbances. And the common thread that wound its way through the study was that they were habitual fault finders in other people. They were constant critics of people and things around them. But the freest people, the healthiest mentally and emotionally, those are the freest, were the least critical, the least fault finding. And so, if you want to be in good emotional and mental health, learn by the grace of God to become a less critical person. Thirdly, a third cost is discouragement. Almost nothing discourages people like a critical spirit. Okay? Those with a critical spirit hurt and discourage the people around them, whether it's their wife or their husband or their family or friends or church members or church leaders, fellow employees, schoolmates. They batter them. They bruise them. They embitter them. A critical spirit is damaging to the psyche of the person that gets it. And I think Ephraim's criticism had to discourage Gideon a little bit, don't you? Look at verse 4, would you? Gideon and his 300 men, exhausted, yet keeping up the pursuit, came to the Jordan and crossed it. Now, I'm not going to try to twist this verse into what it's not. And I'm sure that most of their exhaustion... 90% of it was because they had been in battle. But would I be wrong to say that maybe some of that was the tiredness they got from these Ephraimites after being cut down for what they did in battle? Okay? I think that probably some of this was just, man, we put out for this nation, and all we do is get criticized. And so I think some of their... their discouragement came from the critical spirit of one of their own tribes. 
And then the third cost of a critical spirit is division. Division. Christians with a critical spirit tear the fabric of a church family apart, sometimes without even knowing it. For all the enemies that these, these, they faced, the 12 tribes needed to hang together because God had given them a commission and responsibilities to take the promised land. And although I think Gideon showed grace here, I'm sure that the other tribes weren't too happy about the Ephraimites. A critical spirit in the church keeps the church off task, drains its energy, ruins its testimony, divides its people, keeps it from fulfilling God's plan and purpose, and, and that's a horrible legacy to leave. And that's why Paul tells us in the book of Galatians, chapter five, he says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. It's interesting. He's not saying you'll be destroyed by the cults. You'll be destroyed by wrong theology. You'll be destroyed by a fire that burns your facility to the ground. No, you'll be destroyed by each other if you continue to be critical. Division. And then, you might want to tune out right now. Warning you. The fourth cause of a critical spirit is discipline. God hands out a particular kind of discipline to the person with a critical spirit. You say, what's that discipline? And this is what it is. He judges us with the same amount that we judge others. Look at uh, Matthew 7 and Luke 6. It says, do not judge. Is that up behind me, by the way? Okay. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and when all the time there's a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and it will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And how many times have we heard those last verses preached in the area of money and giving? I've done it. I'm sure I have. I've heard that those verses almost exclusively be used in terms of what we give out Financially, God will level the playing field and maybe even bless us with more. But that's not the context. Now, it's a good application. Not going to deny that. And that's other scriptures teach that. The context is the judgment that we and the criticism that we hand out to others will come back on us from the Lord in his judgment and discipline. Isn't this great? (laughs) I'll just paraphrase it. And believe me, I've experienced this personally. I don't want to point fingers because I'm guilty of this. I am. I've had it happen to me. Don't even like to think about it. But let me paraphrase. God will be as hard on us as we are on others. So we need to be careful. Now, that does not mean that we should never make any kind of judgment or evaluation about right and wrong in other people's lives. Okay, that turns into the sick culture of tolerance that we have today. 
where anything goes. But we are to be lovingly upfront to others about their sin and confront them and deal with them in gentleness if necessary. What Jesus is forbidding here is um, an unmerciful, critical, fault-finding attitude towards others, always looking for mistakes, catching people when they're bad, dwelling on the negative, picky, tearing down with words, harsh criticism instead of loving correction. But we're instead to be slow in finding the fault in others, especially in our families, in our, our spouses, and in our church. Otherwise, we're risking God's discipline in our lives. What does God want from you and I here at Cedar Home and in our families? He wants us to treat each other by, with mercy and overlook each other's faults if possible. And he warns us as if you don't do that, then you're not going to get a, a generous amount of mercy from me. In fact, James chapter 2.13 says it very clearly. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And again, I've seen this in my own life. I cringe when I think of the times I was overcritical to someone. But God has shown me, but Mitch, you know, you got less mercy as a result of that. And that's where some of that pain came from. It's just the way it is. And I, I was thinking about this, and I thought, I don't know if this doesn't fit or not, but sometimes, have you ever noticed we're most critical of the people who have the same faults that we do? You ever notice that? I've noticed that about myself. I get more irritated with people that are like me than anybody else. It's so true when you think about it. But I want to end on a happy note with this point here. The opposite is true too, right? The good news is as the more mercy we show other people, the more mercy God shows us. Okay? So there's a blessing to showing mercy. And then a last cause, a cost rather, to a critical or negative spirit, it, it spreads. I was watching something just this morning uh, on TV while I was eating my breakfast about the Zika virus. You've all heard it, right? Do you know that, that what started out very, very small a very short time ago has now spread to every continent except Antarctica in the world? Did you know that, that now over 2 billion people are in danger of, of this worldwide Zika virus? It's been so difficult to contain. That's so true of what the tribe of Ephraim was doing with their critical spirit. Their, their attitude spread. It was infectious. Again, when you've been around negative people, you understand what I'm saying. They're griping, and pretty soon you're in, you and I are griping. So easy to join with this toxic behavior. It spreads so fast like a virus. So we need to avoid it at all costs. Okay, I'd like to answer a fourth and final question this morning, and, uh, and that's what's the cure? Because there's, a, there's some awesome stuff in here about the cure for a critical spirit, whether we're, we're under the, the load of someone's critical attitude or maybe even we have some of that in ourselves. Let's take that one first. If you're the one being criticized, and again, you might want to tune out of this first point, if you're the one being, coming under the, the critical spirit of someone, Try to find the grain of truth in that criticism. Brothers and sisters, this is where I think spiritual maturity shows itself the most in a Christian. This is a great barometer to tell where we're at 
is that person got a point? Do I have some of that in me? Okay. Is God trying to teach me something about myself even though it's coming through a difficult person who doesn't even recognize their own truckload full of problems? You know, God uses difficult people to shove things in their own lives to the surface. Some of the meanest scoundrels that I ever encountered and criticized me, there was some partial truth in that. And I tried to learn to grow from that. That was tough. And after I had them killed, I did. I learned from that. (laughs) Realize that God allows critical and difficult people into your life and mind to grow us in certain areas that otherwise we'd never grow in. To, to, To purge our immaturity to keep us humble and dependent on him, to learn how to love unlovable people and forgive our enemies. So find the grain of truth, okay? Second, don't retaliate. Don't retaliate. If you're being criticized, don't retaliate. And yeah, it's tempting to do that, isn't it? Sure it is. But don't swing back. Now we get into this this awesome thing that Gideon did. Look at verse... uh, well, look at the end of verse uh, 1 and then verses 2 and 3. And they criticized him sharply. Now, check out what Gideon does. It's really neat. But he answered them, What have I accomplished compared to you? Aren't the gleanings of Ephraim's grapes better than the full grape harvest of Abiezer? You guys are such great farmers. you got a green thumb. Wow! The size of those grapes that you harvest. And then... Verse 3, God gave Oreb and Zeb, the Midianite leaders, into your hands. That was the cleanup work that they did after the hard part of the battle. But Gideon accentuates that and says, wow, you guys really did great. What was I able to do to compare to you? And look what happens. At this, the resentment against him subsided. Whoa, that's powerful. Instead of defending himself as he easily could have done, Gideon gives a gentle and positive answer. He found positive things to say about them. Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. A soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Instead of firing back, Gideon reminds them of how much the Lord had blessed them. And by the way, have you ever noticed how firing back rarely convinces our detractors. Do you ever notice that on TV when people from different political parties argue? Do you ever see someone on TV and one party's arguing with the other and all of a sudden the light bulb goes on on TV and you go, you know, you're right. I never realized that. I mean, by the way you were yelling at me and accusing me, I'm convinced. You never see that. But when a person answers with gentleness, and positivity and love as much as they can, hearts are changed. And Gideon Gideon turns away their wrath by swallowing his pride, answering gently, and thinking of what's best for the nation. It's a lesson for us in the church, isn't it? Amen? It really is. Now, this is not ignoring the truth about bad behavior. God's not saying to do that. But Gideon's motive was to glorify God not to put his detractors down. And if we're going to respond 
We need to do it with honest, accurate, spirit-filled, loving, gentle, biblical truth. But first, look for the truth in it, answer in a gentle way, and don't swing away. Third, if you're, gonna, if you're coming under the, a critical spirit by someone that you know, close or far away, just be prepared in advance. Expect it. I mean, I'm not saying be paranoid, but I think Gideon had an inclination of how these Ephraimites were. Okay? Expect, if you're going to be a, if you're going to try to live for the Lord, serve him and love him and obey him. If you're going to serve in the church, whether on staff or as a deacon or an elder or a Sunday school teacher or a youth worker or, you know, on it goes, a Bible study leader, whatever it is, working with youth, you're going to get it one way, one time or another, no matter how hard you try. When you're doing something for the Lord, you can expect some kind of criticism. They'll attack you, your motives, your efforts, and that's when it's easy to get sidetracked. But if you expect it, not in a paranoid way, but just not be taken by surprise, it'll do a lot to, uh, to get you through that. Number four, if, you're, if you are criticized by someone, and this is my personal favorite, realize that your greatest antidote to someone's unjust criticism is to realize your righteous position in Jesus Christ. Something awesome happens when we get saved, when we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. At that moment, we're baptized into union with Jesus Christ. We're made perfect. We receive his righteousness as our own. We become holy and perfect and faultless and accepted and approved and loved and perfect. And when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of his son. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And in him, he has made us the righteousness of God. We were down on the Oregon coast a couple weeks ago for a week away. And choosing churches when we're away from Cedar Home is tough. Because we all know Cedar Home is the greatest church in the world, right? <laughs> so it's tough. Anything else is just a, you know, a downer. And, uh, but we, we found this, my wife found this little Baptist church down in Newport. And so I thought, okay, because it's been kind of tough to go to other churches. Cause, and so we went to this church, and it was just a little Baptist church off the side of the road. And man, that pastor had it down. He had it down. I was so glad we went there. And he said something about this, and this, these are his words. He said, as Christians... We are wrapped in the righteousness of Christ and we live life in the light of that truth. I almost fell off my seat. It was so good. I added a little bit to it. I told Debbie, write this down. I, she had the pen. She takes notes. I said, write that down. But I added to it. I said, um, as Christians, we're wrapped in the righteousness of Christ and in his love and acceptance and forgiveness and approval and his holiness and his perfection and we live life in the light of that truth. And we re when we remember that, listen you guys, when we remember how faultless we are in the eyes of God through Christ, okay, we can handle anything anybody says against us at any time. Because our identity is not 
based on what they say, but on Christ himself, okay? We don't have to take it personally. We don't have to return fire. We don't have to live up to unreal expectations. We're free because we're whole and perfect in the eyes of God through our union with Christ. And people can't touch us when that's the truth. And Gideon knew that he was in God's favor so he could handle the criticism. And then fifth, pray for your critic. Pastor Mitch, could you hurry by this point quickly? Well, you know, it's hard to hate somebody that you pray for. You know what I mean? Lord, help John Doe, help Jane Doe to just feel and sense your love and and your grace and, and, and purge that critical spirit out of them so they can know you better. Pray for our critics, okay? That's good. Jesus calls us to pray for our enemies. And then keep on going. Keep on going. This is the last one in if you're being criticized by someone. Keep on going. Look at verse 4. I think it's really cool. Verse 4, chapter 8. Gideon and his 300 men, exhausted yet keeping up the pursuit, came to the Jordan and crossed it. I love it. They didn't say, oh... Someone criticized me. I'm done. You know, what's that book? Um, Nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I think I'll go eat worms. They they didn't do that. Somebody bought me that book one time. (laughs) Years ago, they bought me this book. They said, you ought to read this book. Uh. (laughs) It was a good book. Had nothing to do with me, but it was a good book. Okay. But they didn't let discouragement get them down. You know, I've seen it happen. You've seen it happen. Someone in the church gets their feelings hurt, right? It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when, right? Because we're a family, and families kind of say and do stuff that's kind of squirrely sometimes. I mean, right? Amen? It just happens. And I've seen it. You've seen it. They get hurt. And like a starfish that's been poked, they pull in. And they either just pull in or leave altogether. I, that is Satan. Cutting off a person from their f- church family. And they no longer use their time and their talent and their treasures for the Lord. And, um, and they don't have the support system that, that God wants them to have. But I love, and it's a tragedy. And I bet we've all felt that way. I know I've felt that way sometimes. I don't want to go back. Man, I'm tired of getting hammered. But look what happens in verse 4. They keep going, all right? They were exhausted, yet they kept up the pursuit. You got to love it. They pressed on to fulfill God's will for their life in spite of the criticism they received. Don't leave the church because someone hurts your feelings. Don't get sidetracked by your critics. Keep your eyes on the task that you've been assigned by God. Because you see, when all the battles are over and we face the judgment seat of Christ, not for our salvation, but for how we stewarded our time, talents, and treasures, we're not going to give an account to the people that criticized us. We're going to give an account to the Lord. And so it's vital that we continue his work regardless of the, of the critics that we face. Okay, I want to finish this last question and flip the coin here. Maybe you're the one with a critical spirit. Now, as I said, we all have that to a certain degree, but some of you are higher on the scale than than others. Are you? Do you? 
to your wife or husband, to your kids or your parents, to your schoolmates, fellow church members or church leadership, people you work with or people in general. Man, I want to tell you a story. I know I'm going long here, but I know you don't mind. I was sitting right back there in the back row of the church three weeks ago. I almost want to cry when I talk about this because it hurts, but I was sitting there. Either there was a break in the action, like uh, the offering, or it was before the service. And I was sitting there thinking about this message because I felt like, wow, this thing with Gideon just really so impressed me. And I thought, God, I think, because Pastor Dan had asked me to preach, and I said, I think I might do that. And someone walked in the church, and they went in and they sat down right about here, right about where Brian is. And I saw something about their appearance, and I just, I got really critical. And it wasn't really that big of a deal. It wasn't about their character. It wasn't about their active service in the church. I don't even think I knew the person. I don't know them. And so I was just, why? And I questioned. I'm not going to tell you who it was, what gender, what it was, but I was being critical. And the Holy Spirit <laughs> said, Mitch, you're thinking about doing a sermon on how not to have a critical spirit. What are you doing? Dipstick? No, he didn't say that. What are you doing? And I thought, and I just said, Holy Spirit, I'm so sorry. I feel so hypocritical. Isn't it that easy, though, to be that critical that fast? It's, it's, we're all, we all are tempted with that. Let's put people down, okay? So maybe you're, you, you have that. From 0.5 to 10, I don't know, it's not my business. But what do you do? Okay, if you have a CRISPR, let's fly through these. First, examine yourself. And you say, I- is it true? Am I that way? Really? Am I that way? And then if you are, then just admit it. Just confess it. Ask God for forgiveness and repent of it. Don't make excuses. Well, I'm just being honest. Um, Get real. I'm telling it like it is. I have the gift of discernment. (laughs) Hey, if it's not of the spirit, it's of the flesh. It's so much easier to be critical of other people than to examine ourselves. In Charles Schultz's Peanuts comic strip, Linus asked Lucy, why are you always so anxious to criticize me? And she answers, well, I think I just have a knack for seeing other people's faults. What about your own faults, asked Linus. Her response is, I have a knack for overlooking them. (laughs) We got to examine ourselves. Healthy self-examination, not morbid, peeling the onion back 50 million times. Second, get to the hidden causes. There's a reason why we're overly critical. We've already talked about them earlier. Maybe it's our immaturity, our pride, our pain, our personality, our propensities, unresolved bitterness or sin, perfectionism, legalism, inferiority, oversensitivity, guilt or sin that hasn't been dealt with, jealousy, ungratefulness. But get to the hidden cause. And then ask God to purge it from you. And then forgive. If you've been hurt, then forgive them before the Lord because sometimes that past hurt pushes itself through our present behavior and when we resolve the hurt we're free not to be so critical of others before the Lord say Lord I forgive so and so for such and such and how it made me feel and then you'll be free from the level of criticism that you dole out to others number four 
draw near to God in his word and prayer. A critical spirit often reveals a lack of personal time with God. And I'll tell you why. Because when you and I get into the word of God, and when we get into prayer, and I mean quality time in God's word, an honest, open prayer to the Lord, we begin to realize the gospel of Jesus Christ in Scripture. You say, well, Pastor Mitch, what is that? The gospel of Jesus Christ is that even though God created us, we sinned against him in rebellion and declared our independence from God, and we, we sinned against him. But out of his love and out of his compassion and to reconcile us to himself, he sent his perfect holy, eternal Son, Jesus Christ, to become the substitute for our sin on the cross and shed his perfect blood to atone once and for all our sins. And then Holy Spirit, out of his grace, the Holy Spirit birthed new life in our hearts, reconciled us to God, and gave us the hope of heaven forever and his strength while we're still on earth. Amen? Now when you read that, in the scriptures, in one way or another, from Genesis to Revelation, it humbles us when we realize we didn't do anything to win that. And God is a God of love and a God of mercy. And the more we understand God's grace, the less we're critical of other people. But when we don't get close to God, we don't realize it, and we think we're more than we are, and we criticize others. So get close to God. It'll take care of a critical spirit. You know, I'm happier today now as a Christian than I've ever been. I'm more enthralled and excited about Jesus and his work on the cross on my behalf than ever before. I'm more excited about the fact that I have an eternal home in heaven than I've ever been. But I have never been so appalled and shocked and broken about my own sin than I've ever been. And that's what happens when you get close to God. You know his grace, and you realize how much you didn't deserve it. And that will take care of a critical spirit, I guarantee you. And then remove it. That's number five. Remove a critical spirit from your life. Gideon did, and we need to too. We need to bury that critical spirit. It reminds me of the story of a preacher who had given a sermon on spiritual gifts, and a man from the congregation came up to him and said, that was a great sermon, but I believe I only have one talent. The preacher smiled and asked, well, what's your talent? What's your gift? He says, I have the talent, the gift of criticism. To which the preacher wisely replied, the Bible says that the guy who had only one talent went out and buried it. <laughs> Maybe that's what you ought to do with yours. I wish I was that quick on my feet. No, I don't. No, maybe not. I don't know. How do you bury it? Bury it. You go on a fast. You go on a criticism fast. I was reading about one Christian gal. She wrote an article on it. I went on a criticism fast. She fasted one day from all criticism. She said it was the hardest thing she ever did, but it was the best thing she ever did. But God says, I want you to go on a permanent fast from a critical spirit. Let's read it. Ephesians 4, 29 through 32. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. A criticism fast. And instead of complaining and criticizing, get on a mission. Who can I find to encourage, to affirm, to love? Who can I love in my family and friends and fellow Christians and church leaders? Who can I catch being good, not bad? You're going to have to change your diet, by the way. No more roast, preacher. No more roast, deacon. No more roast, elder. No more roast, husband. No more roast, wife. Going to have to cut a lot of roast out of our lives to do this. No smarmy, sanctified Christian criticism like, well, bless his heart. He tries. That's just the veiled criticism. Determined to do what grandma said. What'd she say? If you can't say something good about somebody, what? Ah, you all had the same grandma, didn't you? All right. Why do we do that? Well, because when we manifest the critical spirit, we're acting like the world, not Christians. Okay. And then finally, if you have a critical spirit, pray the fault finder's prayer. Pray the fault finder's prayer. If you're a fault finder, and we all are to some degree, turn to the Lord, and in one way or another, pray this prayer when you're alone with him. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm so sorry for the times when I've allowed judgmental attitudes to rule me. Please forgive me. Help me to remember your mercy toward me so that I can extend your mercy to others. Thank you for loving me, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Okay. Conclusion. Why did I do this this morning? See, ba- Pastor Dan doesn't come to you and say, okay, Mitch, preach this. I want you to do that. He doesn't do that. I mean, if he did, great, and I'd do it. Whatever he asks. But he, he didn't ask me to preach this. And there's some, a couple of reasons. One is, because I don't think anything stunts our growth. I don't think anything discourages the people that we love, including our fellow Christians. I don't think anything tears the fabric of a church more than a critical spirit. I don't think anything ruins the testimony of a church more than people backbiting and criticizing one another. Okay? Spiritually hungry people are going to be visiting us this fall, and we don't want them to see a sarcastic, critical, fault-finding atmosphere, but the love of Jesus. Amen? I mean, this is a Memorial Day crowd, and it's almost full. What's going to happen next week and the week after? Another reason is it's fall kickoff time next week, as uh, Chris was sharing with us. Huge time in the life of a church. Youth groups starting. We have a great worship leader in Dylan who's doing a great job. The messages from John have been great, and there are going to be some more great ones. New Sunday school classes, kids' ministries, community groups. People are going to be visiting, and Satan would like nothing better than to poison the atmosphere with a spirit of criticism. And so we need to purge that, and that's what we're going to do right now as we take the Lord's Supper and close our service. We're going to purge the spirit of criticism right now in a very important way.